Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15. Now, I've got the 20-minute timer going, as you might notice, either from the sound quality or the video. We are in a different location today. Uh, the space where we normally record our podcast is being used this week, and so got to uh, make do with a different setup, and that's fine. We are in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15. Absalom has returned uh, to Jerusalem, and he's been back for a couple of years. Absalom murdered his brother Amnon, or his half-brother, I should say, his same dad, King David different moms because David had too many wives and more than one is too many. Not because uh, that's not an anti-women thing. It's because God has designed marriage to be between one person and another person, one man and one woman. And so uh, here's David. There's consequences to sin. And part of the consequences is the broken family that he has. So Absalom kills his brother. But then after a while, David's like, I really love my son. And I know what he did was terrible, but you know what? I love my son. I want to see him. So he allows Absalom to come back. Um, And then for a couple of years, he's like, he can come back, but I I still won't see him, right? Because he's like, not ready to. And then Absalom makes this whole big show. And then so finally David sees him. But now it says in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 15 men to run ahead of him. So he's setting himself up. A chariot back then is a symbol of power and prestige. And here he is, the son of the king, setting himself up. 50 men to run ahead of him. And he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. And whenever somebody would come with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, well, your servant uh, is from one of the tribes of Israel. Verse three, then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And then Absalom would add, oh, if only I were appointed judge in all the land. And then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me, and I would see that they receive justice. So what's going on here is Absalom is setting himself up, and he is waiting to intercept people. And he says, hey, where are you from? And they'll say, where are you from? Oh, what are you doing here? And they'll say, well, I'm going to the king uh, because I have this issue. Uh, Maybe it was they felt like they got cheated on a deal, or somebody has wronged them, or some injustice has been done, or, hey, king, you know what? Um, your new policy, I, I get it. I get why you did it, but it's really hurting us. Is there something you could do? And so the king would hear their issues. And there were times you could come and the king would, would meet with the people. And Absalom saying, you know what? The king's too busy and you're going to show up there. But let me tell you, he's not going to have time to see you. Oh, it's too bad that the king doesn't have a better system. If only he'd appoint the princes like me, uh, we could take care of that. Dang, he's got so much on his plate. We could take care of that. And you know, everything you're saying is right. He's trying to build up support among the people. You're right. You've got a point. I'm here for you. He's being a politician. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. And Absalom behaved this way towards all the Israelites who came to the king to ask for justice and stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So what he's doing is, is very political. Somebody would come and they'd realize, oh, he's like one of the princes. And, oh, you're Absalom. Okay, you're like, you know, the king's son. And then he would say, hey, what you're saying is right, man. You, you are correct. And then uh, he would say, oh, if only I could help you. That'd be so much better. But then when they would like bow to show honor to the prince, to royalty, he would say, no, here. And he would grab their hand and show them honor. He's basically like, 
you know, smoozing and buttering people up and, and he's gaining in popularity because he's telling people whatever they want to hear. Verse 7, at the end of the four years, so he's been doing this for like four years. He's been building up a following, popularity, loyalty. Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur and Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Now, why is it he asks his dad? He's a grown man. Why can't he just go? And, and the reason is this. As Americans, first of all, we have, we have this thought that we can just go wherever we want because we can. If you've got enough gas in your tank, no one will stop you. There, there's no stopping you from driving to Idaho, to Michigan, to New York, wherever you want to go. You want to take a big road trip this summer, go for it. You got enough gas in your tank, you can afford it, do it. You don't have to show papers to anyone. This isn't communist Russia, right? Where you like, oh, papers, papers, please. So, you know, it's not Nazi Germany. Show us your papers, yeah. You know, this is, this is America. We, we're used to this, but there's massive parts of the world where you can't just go wherever you want. Additionally, if you are royalty, you think, oh man, they have all this power and prestige. But if you watch The Crown, you've learned there are restrictions. That um, Prince Philip, you know, in one of the early seasons of The Crown, decides he wants to learn to fly. And there's literal debate at 10 Downing Street, which is like their White House, right? Like there's debate among the cabinet. Can we allow the, the, the prince, the husband of the queen, the father of the future king, can we allow him to fly? And then they were like, okay, well, you have to tell us when you're going to do it. Uh, okay, well, you have to tell us, and you can't do anything crazy, no barrel rolls, right? There's all these restrictions. Even more so in, in a, uh, a truly sovereign, like the, the king and the queen in England, they've got limitations. You, they have privilege, but they have limitations. Uh, but if you're a, the son of a king, you can't just go off wherever, right? I'm, where, where were you? I'm just leaving. Well, you can't do that. And the reason you can't do that is because um, what if you were going to go off and try to break away or take power for yourself? It's partly protection for the king. You don't want your, your heirs, people who have a claim to the throne, going off and building up their own bases uh, somewhere else. Also, it's also protection for your heirs. You don't want them going off and then dying because you want to keep the heirs to the throne alive. You also don't want them going off and being kidnapped and then you have to pay some kind of large ransom or go to a war that you didn't want. So he asked permission, can I go uh, down to Hebron because I made a vow when I was in exile uh, that if the Lord would bring me back to Jerusalem, I'd go worship in there. And so the king says, hey, go in peace. That sounds good. That sounds really good to the dad. He's asked permission. He's going somewhere safe. He's going somewhere supposedly for very holy or spiritual reasons. So he says, yeah, go in peace. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel. He's sending messages to all the people for the last four years. He's been buttering up building support with, brokering deals. Uh, you could see maybe he was like even overstepping his authority, like, hey, go back and you tell them that I said this is how it should be. And he's making secret deals and building up support. It says, he sends secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And 200 men from Jerusalem accompanied Absalom and they had been invited as guests and went quite innocently knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, to come to Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength. 
and Absalom's following kept increasing. So basically, Absalom grabbed 200 guys from Jerusalem who didn't know what they were doing. But if you got 200 guys from Jerusalem who were kind of important, it looks like you've got a following. And then he gets David's counselor to come. And even if David's counselor had no part of this, Ahithophel being there kind of lends some like credibility to this whole thing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. And then David said to his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. And the king's officials answered, your servants are ready to do whatever the Lord, our Lord, the king chooses. Then the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all of the people following him, and they halted at the edge of the city. And his men marched past him along with all of the Kertherites and the Peltherites, and all 600 of the Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath marched before the king. So these, these people are people from different places, regions, cities. Uh, they're David's like close people, his guard and high officials. They're people who Absalom would probably put to death if he came and took power in Jerusalem. So they are getting out. And the king's being smart. He's not a cowardice, but he's not in a strong position, apparently. The army isn't called out. He, he's starting to realize Absalom's been planning this for a while. So I need to get myself and my family to a place of safety and security, and then I can regroup, I can deal with what must be dealt with, and then return to the capital. Now, the king, verse 19, said to Ittai, the Gittite, we, oh, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with the king Absalom. You are a foreigner and exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today I shall make you wander about with us. When I do not know where I am going, go back and take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. So the Gittites were people um, who weren't Jewish, but uh, they had thrown themselves in with David. And they were guests, and they were there, welcomed. But David's saying, hey, look, you just got here. You can, you can get support with, the, with uh, Absalom. Um, you know, stay, he even calls him, stay with King Absalom. You're not going to die. And this is partially David testing loyalty of somebody he doesn't know that well, but also partially David giving this guy an out. Hey, you just got here, man. You don't need to go down with the ship. David's apparently in a really weak place. But uh, Atai the, the Gittite replied to the king, as surely as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whereas it means life and death, there will your servants be. Now, it's interesting. This guy's not Jewish, but he says, as surely as the Lord, what does he say? As surely as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lives. He's placing his faith in God. It's also possible that he fully intends or has already become Jewish through the mikvah uh, ceremony, which is similar to our baptism. This idea of he has said, I'm in, I'm here, and you're the king, and I'm going to follow you. So David said to Ittai, go ahead and march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him, and the whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king crossed the Kidron Valley. And all the people moved on towards the wilderness. Zadok was there too. He was the priest. And the Levites who were with him carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. So the Levites aren't part of this conspiracy. They're saying, hey, we aren't down with this. We're bringing the Ark, which represents the presence of God with the king. Because what's happening right now is evil. And they sent down the Ark of God. And Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. 
So Abathar was staying behind and he's worshiping God, but he's also basically asking God for deliverance, for protection, and as the people leave. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in Yahweh's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Then the king also said to Zadok the priest, do you understand? Go back to the city with my blessing. Take your son Hamaz with you and also Abathar's son Jonathan. You and Abathar return with your two sons and I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. What David is doing is he's saying this, I don't know. I don't know if God is judging me. And there were things to be judged for. His sin with Bathsheba, the brokenness of his family, his failure to deal with Absalom. He says, I don't know if God's judging me. God judged Saul. God judged Saul and and took him out. And maybe, you know what? My son will reign. One of my sons will reign. God's promised David that, that his sons will reign. And out of his descendants will come the Messiah. But David's like, you know what? He didn't promise me that I will reign forever. He just said, someone will reign on my throne. One of my descendants will rule on the throne forever. So maybe God's taking me out. And he gives the priest pressing. The, the, the priests have, they have acted honorably. They have acted nobly. And David is doing the same because he says, take your sons with you. Meaning he's not holding the sons hostage for political leverage. He's saying, go back. You've done the right thing. I will now do the right thing by you. So David continued up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, and his head was covered, and he was barefoot, and all the people with him covered their heads too, and they were weeping as they went. So David is in a place of mourning and grief before God, and he's saying, God, if this is from you, I'm repenting. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So what David's saying is, Ahithophel's a smart guy. That's not good if he's with him. Lord, can you just turn whatever he says into foolishness? And David is trusting God. When David arrived at the summit of the Mount of Olives, the same place that Jesus uh, preached, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the same place that the scripture indicates Jesus will physically return to the earth. It says, when he arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him and his robe torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. Won't the priest Zadok and Abathar be there with you? Tell them anything you hear and tell them anything you hear in the king's palace. Their two sons, uh, Hamaz, the son of Zadok, and Jonathan, the son of Abathar, are with them. Send them to me with anything you hear. So Hushai, David's confident, returns to Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. So what David is saying, look, you're my guy. I know you're my guy. I want you to go back and I want you to be a spy in Absalom's court. And you tell the priest anything that, they, that you hear that's important and they can send their sons as emissaries and messengers to me. In verse 1, chapter 16, David had gone a short distance beyond the summit of the Mount of Olives. There was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth waiting to meet him. Now, Mephibosheth is the son of, of um, uh, he's Jonathan. He's one of, he's one of the descendants of King Saul. 
Uh, he's somebody who politically is dangerous, but David kept his word to Jonathan that he would take care of his family, and Mephibosheth was crippled, so he entrusted Ziba uh, to be sort of the steward of all that Mephibosheth owned. And he's there waiting, and he had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 200 cakes of raisins, and 100 cakes of figs and skins of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, the donkeys for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the fruit are the men to eat. The wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. The king said, where is your master's grandson? And Ziba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will restore me to my grandfather's kingdom. That's foolishness, but people have thought very foolish things during times of uncertainty and coup and rebellion as I've read history. So who knows? Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. So Ziba's saying, this is Ziba's story. My master Mephibosheth has betrayed you, but I'm still with you, David, and I've brought supplies for you and your people. Food, wine, and transportation. And as David approached Bahrim, a man of the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, the son of Ger, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guards were on David's right and his left. And as David passed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for the blood that you shed in the household of Saul, in whom, whose place you have raid. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom, and you have come to ruin because you are a murderer. So he's got old grievances, and he says, you murdered Saul, and, and he thinks that Saul should still be the true king. He's wrong, but he believes it. And then verse 9, Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, what does this have to do with you, you son of Zariah? If he is cursing because of the Lord said to him, curse David. Who can ask, why do you do this? And then David said to Abishai and all his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will come and look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei, or Shammai was going along the hillside opposite, cursing as he went and throwing stones and showering him with dirt. And the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, but there he refreshed himself. Before we run out of time, I want to say this, because I've been thinking about Shammai recently. David says, Shammai genuinely believes that he's doing what God wants. And he might be right, because you know what? My own son's trying to kill me right now. And I am not in a place where I'm in a place of strength. In fact, I'm having to flee from my capital. And he's teaching a lesson in humility to Abishai. All of us need a lesson in humility from time to time. I was recently asked about somebody who was reporting about things going on in the church. And this person said, well, what about them? It seems like they're just promoting gossip and slander in the church. And I said, maybe they're your Shimai or Yashimi, however, however you want to pronounce it, maybe they're the person that God has put in place that you don't want to hear from, but they're speaking something true. 
And if they aren't, God will deal with them. But maybe they are. If you were to ask me my personal opinion, my guess is that this is somebody who had an old beef with David, and when things are down, he's kicking a man while he's down. And at the same time, God is using him to speak humility into the lives of David the king and his officials. And even in this midst of trial and defeat, God was still speaking to his servants. Now we're going to see what's going to come of this, what happens with Absalom in our next episode. But I know this, that God works even in the worst moments and God is shaping us. And we in faith have to trust if God is with us, nothing can be against us. In our darkest times, in our darkest moments, in faith, we can believe that God will deliver us. Just as David has belief that he will one day return to Jerusalem and see the temple again. And at the same time, we can have humility to say that whatever God is doing, let him do his work in our lives. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill and subscribe. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. I want to thank you again for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.